we're continuing our series on the God Experience, and I introduced this to us last week. It's a high-impact series. What that means for us is that you'll get a follow-on email to, uh, tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. sharp. I did automate that. It's not me awake at 5 a.m. Uh, I didn't just write it and send it. It's all already in the system. Uh, but that will follow on from the message today, and there's also group notes available for discussion. You can do that in your family or in your small group. And we know a lot of our groups meet uh, fortnightly now because that's just the way life is morphing. So uh, all the resources stay on the website and you can do it at the pace that you want. Um, but I'm just going to keep on preaching. Okay, so we talked last week about the seven realities that work together, almost like if you can picture your life as, as, a, as a bucket and the, the level in the bucket will depend on what the lowest hole is in that bucket and we plug the holes as we go through. And uh, these seven realities work a little bit like that. Sometimes we grow them in our life sequentially, but most often it's a bit chaotic or all at once. And these seven realities work to, for you to discover and walk in the power of God's Spirit, in the power of your calling, and more, as we saw last week, that the power of your calling is completely reliant on you working with God. The next steps in your walk with God, uh, or your next steps of calling, are reliant on, on your next experience with God. And I've had, I guess it's fair to say, my share of uh, experiences with God um, of all sorts, from hearing the audible voice of God five times, I think, or maybe six uh, to seeing miracles, to seeing uh, all sorts of incredible things happen. Uh, I try to make a stab at the amount of times uh, I've, I've worked in words of knowledge, maybe 15, 20,000 times now. I don't, I don't even believe that's my gift, to be honest. It's just turning up. Uh, but experience of God is a fundamental part of what Christian life looks to me. I think it's quite normative if we look at Scripture. It's, it's, I can't read Scripture and not see anywhere where it allows um, that we work through our life and the testimony of our life is a testimony of how faithful I've been in the strength that I have. It's admirable. It's just not, it's completely inadequate. We can't live the calling God has for our life if we're restricted to the strength that we have. We can't have a testimony of the church to be how much has someone written a check. It's got to be about what God does. And so this series is all about how you really can tap into that as a normative part of our life. What does it look like? It just looks like you. With walking with God, full of the Spirit, in the personality and the mix that He's given you, but with the power of His Spirit working through you. And as a pastor, I've seen I've seen seasons of um, great renewal. In fact, to be honest, most churches, I think pretty much all churches I've been on staff, we've seen renewal, we've seen people's lives transform, we've seen the miraculous begin to happen. Where once it was a bit of a dry bones environment, it, it became full of life. And um, a few of us were here when one of them started at, a, at a, another church nearby, and. And uh, which was a great church and remains so, but um, we'd, we'd had incredible growth because God had started um, just doing things in, the, in our midst with normal people in a non-spectacular but relentless supernatural way. It was completely normative in a service to see God do a number of miracles and for people to come away with incredible guidance and empowerment. It just became recreational for us. We forgot that the rest of the world wasn't really seeing that. It just became the way we did church. It was just normal for us. And, and um, it's not uncommon uh, in that scenario, uh, two things. One is that when God begins to move in a way that people can see amongst his people, it attracts God's people because people want to be a part of that. We want to be where God is working. And what goes along with that is pressure of the size of facilities and all sorts of theological discussions. It gets complicated. It gets messy. It gets on fire, it's an incredible moment. And we went from, um, say, I think it was something like a 300, 350 service at night. Uh, it quickly grew over the period of about six or nine months to about 600 people at night. 
And you know how hard it is to get a night service pumping. This thing, we were rocking. We had overflow. We didn't have enough liters, and we just kept going. We were having a scream. And, and a whole bunch of pastors would come in through the week from other churches and go, we want that. What's your strategy? How did you make that happen? As if we could make that happen. And uh, because, you know, they know, Pat, there's always a plan. There's always a strat plan somewhere and a spreadsheet, and, and, and we've laid this thing out. We had this planned long in advance that this was going to happen. There was no way known was anything planned, and I had no idea what was going on. Uh, it, was just, it was just the Lord doing stuff. What it was was a culture. What had happened was a, two or three people it started with, and it became five and 20 people. We, we would meet in a lower room, and we would just have faith that God would begin to work amongst us because we knew principle number one of our seven realities is, is this. God is at work all the time. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't get tired. He never gets weary of this. He doesn't go, I can't be bothered working with you people anymore. God is always at work. So based on that assumption, we would build other assumptions like, well, God wants to bless people because that, that's his nature. God wants to use me. Why not? And he wants to use me right now. Why not? So with those assumptions, we started just praying for each other. And, and, and sure enough, you make room for God in your life. If you get deliberate enough and, and you keep at it, making space for God to work, to do what your strength can't do, it's inevitable that God will come and join that activity. Why would he not? And so this became normative. And our people just expected this sort of lifestyle because, and the people came because they wanted to be where God was. The irony is, and I had to work this through because pragmatically it looked like, well, God is at our church, uh, but nothing was happening in, in different churches around, so God was with us. But theologically it's actually not true that God, God can't be uh, not everywhere at once. God is everywhere, all the time, everywhere, equally. What changes is our cooperation with him. What changes is our awareness of what he's doing. What changes uh, is our faith response. What we determine, what glasses we have on from our religious history or from our society that tells us what's acceptable and what's normal. And what was the manifest power of God amongst us. And it became, as I saw, what I, I call loosely the Jacob syndrome. And if you know the story of Jacob, in the Old Testament where he was running away from his brother Esau and his family that he'd done a bit of a dodgy deal on. He's, he's running away for a season and he falls asleep and he sees a vision of angels ascending and descending and God speaks promises into his life and restores this sense of destiny over him. And he comes out of this vision and says, you know, the surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place. I just didn't know. And that's what happens with us? The reality is God is always with us. The variable is, are we with him? God is always with us. Are we with him? Or are we distracted? Are we faithless? Are we uh, living in unbelief? All those sorts of things. The variable is actually not God. It's not like he has good days and bad days. It's not like he's in a good mood or a bad mood. God is always who he is. He's always good. He's always ready. He has no limits to his power. We are the variable, God's people. And so over thousands of years now, church world has grappled with what this means. So I'm going to go there a little bit with this. I haven't done this for quite a while in our church, but our church really was, if you're new or you've only been here for a year or so, we started here with the foundation, the fundamental foundation. First foundation was people matter. 
Second foundation was, was that we are committed to a life of spirit and truth. Equally, not in competition, not half and half, 100%, 100%. We love theology, we love God's word, it's central to what we do, but so is God's spirit. Because the spirit will always lead you into truth and the truth will always lead you to reliance on God's spirit. You can't pull those two apart. But that has implications in our life. What is normal Christian life? I'm a Westerner, I'm introverted, I'm whatever. Let's keep it civilised, Pat. Well, let's see. Uh, there's normally two reactions to this sort of conversation about God's power. We've seen right through Scripture. One is, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I wonder if you're one of those. Yeah, I'm all for whatever God wants to do. He's got my number. He's got my email address. If he wants to say something to me, he knows where I'm at. Uh, and we come in passive, open, but not pursuing. A bit like uh, Thomas. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not against it. Just convince me, man. Otherwise, I'm going to stay back and be dignified and all that kind of thing. The other response is, I believe it, I fully expect I'll see it too. Very different mindsets. Tell you a story to illustrate. And we used to run, oh, we, we still do, run retreats. We've been doing it since uh, 2005 where we promote this sort of environment. I was at a retreat way long ago and, uh, and uh, we were just having a ball. God was doing lots of incredible things as he always did. And I was prompted by the Spirit. I used to always, I'm, I'm more introverted than probably anybody I know. It doesn't come across it on Sundays. But um, I'd normally stick to a corner and just pray away and see what God's doing. And um, I felt prompted by the Spirit to go to a certain place in this auditorium and just stand there. So I knew far better not to obey that because if God says something, something's on, you know. So I went and stood. It was, it was about three, three people back. Everyone was standing up in worship and prayer was going on. And I, sat behind, I stood behind these two people and one of them was obviously a, a right-brainer, if you know what I mean, right-brainer is a creative um, go with the flow, musicians, artists, right-brainers. God bless their souls. I wish I was more right-brained. I'm, I'm convinced God's more of a right-brainer than a left-brainer, but we won't go there. And they were just having a great time in worship. They weren't thinking about anyone or anything, and they were just saying, I believe everything God has. It wasn't an issue to them. They were just worshipping and, and didn't mind if anything was happening to them or not. They were just caught up in the glory of worshipping God. The other was a left-brainer, happened to be their brother. So it was brother and sister and very sincere, incredibly intelligent, probably IQ of about 150, 160, mathematics, T-shirt, all that kind of stuff. And he wanted to see God's manifest power, had never seen it in his life, but wanted, wanted it sincerely. And, uh, but he was one of those guys, I'll believe it, I'll give it, if I can see it, give me the evidence, give me the doctor's reports and then I'll believe it. He was one of those sorts of guys, but sincere in his desire. And as I stood there, I just heard the Spirit say incredibly clearly, watch this. What do you do to stand there as I do? And I'm, something good's about to happen. And the woman, the right-brainer, who was caught up in worship, suddenly was overwhelmed by the unmistakable power of God. Now, I don't know whether you've ever seen this or whether your mama told you to be aware of anything like that. Um, I don't really mind. I was there and I saw what happened to this woman as the Lord raw power, the dunamis power of Scripture, this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, all that really good stuff, it seemed to be localised quite intensely upon this poor woman. And uh, she wasn't, didn't feel like a poor woman. Uh, she started manifesting the gifts of the Holy Spirit that she'd never seen before. She started praying, laying hands on people and seeing miracles. It just happened right there. It was fascinating. And there's a left-brainer right beside her, less than six inches away, going, that's my sister. She didn't even pray for it. I'm praying for it and I'm seeing nothing. Incredibly frustrating. God was in that place. 
and he didn't experience anything. It's an amazing, complex, mysterious, messy thing to happen, and it happens all the time. He'd said, you know, I'll believe it when I see it, but he never did see it because he didn't believe. He was coming from a place of unbelief. See, you can believe, you can have a degree of faith, but you can also be in that belief, you can operating out of a foundation of unbelief. Let me explain that for a moment. Because faith, as we've talked about a lot here, faith is a reliance on what you know. It's what you know. We know God's character. John 4 says we know and rely on the love of God. It's a, it's a faith on who he is. We know what God said. His scripture is never true. It can't lie. So we can, have tr- we can have full faith in what God has said. He's died on the cross for my sins. I could never do that. I know he's done it. I was in darkness. Now I'm in light. I can have faith. I'm relying on him. That's faith. Faith relies on God and pursues what we know of him. So faith produces a degree of hope. Because I have faith in who he is, I'm going to pursue what can be and what should be. So faith produces a posture of hope. Whereas unbelief is very different. Unbelief can have a degree of belief, but it allows what it doesn't understand to rob us of what we do. So it constrains faith because of what it doesn't believe. It's question block. It's saying there's all this stuff I don't get. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does that lady uh, receive this form of uh, experience and this person doesn't? And it allows that mystery of what they don't understand to rob them of what they do, and that becomes a consuming and driving force before they, uh, behind their logic. That's what Jesus called unbelief. Mark chapter 9, I think it was, where... Um, the young, the young boy, uh, the disciples couldn't heal, and the father's exasperated. Jesus says, what's the problem? Don't you, all things are possible. God goes, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I believe, but I, do, but I have unbelief. I know God can. I just don't think that he will, or I'm not convinced he will. I'll wait and see, and then I'll have faith. Christians, many of us, most of the time, live in unbelief. We let what we don't understand, what we're not prepared to accept, what goes outside our box, determine what we will believe and pursue in. And so that's unbelief. It's good to just call it. I can call it on your behalf. It's it's okay. I struggle with it too, just like the best of us. Even after all I've seen, I've got far less excuse than anybody else. But it just exemplifies this messy mystery that is this life of seeing God work. You see a miracle on one hand and you see defeat on the other. The frustration of being someone like me who gets to pray for so many people when they're, when they're ill you know, and seeing uh, people who have a death sentence on their life and medical proof of that, days to live, weeks to live, and seeing them be healed and live and get new medical certificates to tell the exact opposite, seeing that many, many times. God can do anything and he does, loves doing that, and yet still doing funerals as well for those I've prayed for. This, this messiness, because ultimately, whether someone gets healed or not, unless Jesus comes back soon, we're actually still all going to die. The death rate among Christians is still, last stat I read, was 100.0%. So at some point, something's going to get you. <laughs> but yet God does incredible things. Why? And why not? I'm not going to answer those questions today. They're a great sermon on their own. But does the question matter to us? Because that's where unbelief comes from. Am I going to believe what I know and am I going to pursue? Because not once has a funeral that I've done ruined my faith. It hasn't affected it one little bit. Because my faith isn't dependent on results. My faith is dependent on what I know. And he's told me to go and pray for the sick. So why get down about that? 
See, the, our Western reason, our Western heads and our culture is uncomfortable with that paradox. It's uncomfortable with faith and, and non-formulaic process where if I pray and, and they pray, A plus B should equal C, and sometimes it does, but it doesn't always do that. We've got to be able to live in that paradox because Jesus is not interested whatsoever in giving you a formula because we turn a formula into a religion and that robs us of faith and relationship. We're relying on that, not on him. I hope I'm not losing us because this is, this is the foundation today, what we're talking about, the foundation of normal Christian life. See, we invented this crazy worldview that we take as normal Christian life, this crazy Western view of I find peace in my soul if I can understand what's going on. But if I don't understand, I don't have peace. So I create false peace from false understanding. And I've got to bend theology and I've got to bend the Bible all out of shape to say it was then and not now. Where does it say that? Gee, you've got to draw a long bow and bend Scripture hard to do that. There's nothing in there that says that. Everything for then is for now. In fact, I remember Jesus said something like what you see now you're going to do greater things than this. He said a few things that we can have faith in. Up on the screen, I will be with you. The most repeated promise in Scripture, I am with you. It's not, not what you bring, it's what he brings. I will give you power, Acts 1.8. Be preaching on that at night next week. He who believes will do greater things than you've seen me do. They're promises. We can take them to the bank. And what are we doing about that? So the next step of your calling requires the next step of your experience of God. If you're a guy like me and you're hearing this for the first time, you'll hate that. You're talking about some form of experience? Yeah, what is, but what is an experience? Is, is an experience getting warm fuzzies like the right brain lady that I was talking about? Not necessarily, it may be, may not be. Let's not define it by anything. Your experience of God is relationship, not manifestation. It's what's going on on the inside. Am I leaning into him? Am I leaning on him? Is he with me? Am I with him? Am I hearing him? Is he giving me peace? I'm talking about that kind of relationship. You know, some of us here, we've got a room here, possibly about you know, 200, maybe more people. Some of us here uh, see God at work overtly uh, in here and out there every single week. It's, it's a normal part of their Christian life. Yet others can't remember a time when they saw God do anything incredible. Never really happened in their experience. And yet both types of people are only a chair or two apart. God is here, God is with us, and yet our experience is completely different. The God is the same, but our worlds are far apart. And that's the great thing about messy church like this. It's just like, well, let's not put definitions on too much about how it should look. Let's, let's accept the experience of each one of us and see what we can learn from that. Because we're only finding ourselves when we find ourselves together. And everyone's experience and understanding and knowledge comes together into one. Now, the consolation for this is that the disciples experienced the same awkward journey. So we've got plenty of excuse because they couldn't get it right either. Thomas, as we've seen, refused to believe until he saw. Uh, Simon Peter, Jesus said, come, mate, walk on water. You can do it, bro. Yes, I'm doing it. Yes, I'm doing it. No, I'm not doing it. It's just not working for me. Yeah, this guy who put his foot in his mouth so often, one day something happened and he spoke and 3,000 people got saved. So it can, it's a journey. You can get it wrong. It doesn't mean you're never going to get it right. But the thing is, uh, not seeing uh, God working doesn't mean he's not working. I love what Jesus said in John 5. And, and when Jesus says this stuff, this is the model for us to live by. My father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. God's always at work. He hasn't slowed down. He hasn't gone. It's year 2000. Uh, it's 2023. I'm, I'm a bit done. He, he's busy. 
and he wants to do more because he has no limit. And so the key to that for us is to work with him. He is not the variable. We are the variable. Jesus went on a couple of verses later. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And remember, we can do greater than what... This is, this is a hard... I wouldn't mind getting about halfway to where Jesus got to. He's saying, no, it's supposed to, we're 2,000 years in now. This is supposed to be getting broader and higher and wider. That's his model. So I want to give you the fundamentals of this. How, does, how do you go from a walk that doesn't see God work, apparently, to a walk that does? Very simple. It's incredibly simple. In fact, anything that really matters that comes from God about us and life with him has to be so simple a child can understand it and apply it. So you don't need to have a high IQ. You don't need to have gone to Bible college. You don't need to run your own company and be successful. It was never about that. It's as simple as step number one is simply to watch. This is what Jesus was saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. Just do that. But have we got eyes to see? We, we, we really just need that we could stop right here, and we must stop right here. Are we able to see what God is doing? What does it look like? To see? Does it look like what I saw that day? Rarely. Rarely. That's a highlight reel. It's easy to bring out the good stories. I've got, I've got decades of them. But what about my normal day, walking through the cafe, when I bump into God's people all the time? See, we assume God's work must always look big because he's a big God. But I've found it's actually the opposite. The huge proportion of what God is doing is so small you can miss it because that's his way. Everything starts small as a mustard seed, and our role is to partner with that and help it to grow. By looking for the big all the time, we miss the small. Matthew 13, I've got to bring it back because this is the anchor point in the mindset of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took. Planted in his field, though it's the smallest of seeds, when it grows, it's the largest of gardens and becomes a tree so the birds can come and perch on its branches. That's, that's how it works. My eyes don't need to be on the big. They need to be on the small. Do you think this church started the way it looks today? It started with a word from God and me and Trish and a lot of fear. But we decided straight away, we don't, we don't, we're not after this. This doesn't really matter in the sense of this was never a goal, but you mattered. You were the goal. We would have been happy with 30 people, absolutely. So we geared ourselves that maybe after two years we'd have 30 people and we can just do life together and have fun, sing kumbaya and whatever. But we sort of we, we created a space that if God wanted to do more, we're ready for that. But it started small and it had to be prepared to stay small. We didn't need it to grow big. We didn't need it at all. When we started Droplets in a Stream, which was a charity in Africa, we started it, a friend of mine, we, we started it to help one person. We had a name. We thought we're committed to that guy and we'll just see what we can do. There's $10, there's $100, there's $1,000. There's now way over a million dollars a year uh, comes into that ministry because they were prepared to start this thing small and big didn't really matter. The kingdom principle that's always at play is it starts small. So what do we do? We look for the small things God's doing. Every single day, I would say every hour of your existence, wherever you are at home or at work, there are small things that God's doing that if you have an eye for them, you can follow along because he says, watch. So look for the small things that you see God doing. And the trick is not to say, I wonder if that was God. The trick is follow that thing immediately. So you can see that. You can demonstrate this 
today, as soon as the songs are over and it's ready to go, because God's going to do 200 small things here today. And it's going to be so small. It's going to start with you walking across the room and shaking the hand of someone that you don't know and asking them how they are. And you might hear a conversation, you might hear a story or, or an anecdote of, of, yes, here's what I'm celebrating, or God's done this, or, or it's my first time here and, and, and I just feel so at home. You'll see the smallest thing. So what you do is you drop everything. You don't worry about your coffee. You, you don't worry about any of that. Now you're on God's mission right there. That is now the mission. This is the small thing. That small thing is how this became this. It's you follow the thread and the mustard seed and you water. And you just water because the growth is up to God. Your role is to water that thing. So we look for the small thing and whatever it takes, you follow it immediately. See, we don't require a missions program in the sense. We'll probably get one soon enough. But we don't need that anywhere near as much as we need uh, missional people. People who are missional, that 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 have got a missional mindset. They're on mission every day, every moment. So if you find someone in your work or your home that's just curious about the gospel, they've got a question or you see God working their life, stop right there. Respond. That's your God moment. Let the crowd go and just stop. If you see God blessing on a ministry like our kids' ministry or worship or anything else, get behind it. Get behind it. And then when you see that stuff, be thankful because thankfulness is this, it's a spiritual principle. There is something about thankfulness that um, catalyzes more. I could give an hour uh, TED talk on the mechanism of ministering into people's lives that's built on the power of thankfulness, where you just see whatever it is that God is doing as you're praying. You don't keep the agenda going of what you all came to pray here for. You say, God is doing that. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're here, so thankful that you're doing that. Lord, will you do more of what you're doing? And this is an ambassadorial priestly prayer. That's what we're designed to do. And and what I'm trying to get us back to today is to lift all the fluff and the mechanics of Western Christian life and get back to the raw commission that's got the power behind it of Jesus is to watch and to follow, to be part of what he's doing. Because your DNA, the core of who you are as a human being is not fulfilled by your degrees and your houses and your joy with your family and all that stuff, which is all fine, nothing wrong with it. But the rawness of who we are as human beings is to walk and watch and follow with God the same way Jesus did. And everything else is subsequent to that. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be given unto you. We've made it so complicated because us preachers feel obliged to give you new information every week. The the important stuff has never changed. It's so simple. And thankfulness seems to catalyze more. So the first thing is to watch. The second thing is to follow. Follow what he's doing. That's one thing for us to observe. Oh, God's doing that. A few people last week said, gee, the worship was, was... Worship was better last week because we had extra tech and a few things going on. I just upgraded the sound. Plus, God was working in the worship too last week as he was this week. So you don't just watch and observe. You go, how do I get behind that? How can can I contribute? Or maybe it's on the connections team or or a car park team that I haven't got yet, but it looks like we're going to need. How do I get behind what God's doing? You know, see what he's about. We've got a problem. The problem isn't for you to complain about. The problem is for you to solve. Is how, how can we be a part of what God's doing here? And so we'll always bang up against the throttle, not of the size of our building or our budget. We'll always bang up against the throttle of how engaged God's people are in what God is working. That's the cap in all that we do. So I wonder if God's at work around you, but you haven't noticed. Um, he's always ready. Maybe your eyes have been on the big thing. But I, but I guess I'll, I'll speak out in faith this morning 
that I believe, as I was just speaking before, as I just saw that picture of the, of the tide turning, God's church broadly has been doing it pretty tough. The tide has been going out in a, in a very odd, uncontrollable way for the Western church, particularly in Australia, particularly in Queensland. It's been tough out there for churches. It's been tough out there for Christians. A lot of us are so tired. We, we, we still haven't got our, our life and our breath back since COVID, and it was, wasn't looking great before that. That's because the tide, I believe, has been going out for God's reason, because everything is seasonal, but the tide must come back in. And what that looks like is that I believe that God's at work, and we're seeing the, we're seeing the, the early signs of that in this church. But I'm not looking for the big. I'm not looking for a 1,000 people. I'm looking for one. Is God working in one of us? Is God bringing you here? And I know I probably embarrass people all the time, but I sit in the foyer and I say, Lord, what's going on? And I see people coming to church who haven't been to church for a while. Well, they came here a year or two ago and they've come back, just felt we had to come back. It's been really inconvenient. I live, live a long way away, and, but I just wanted to respond to God. Guys, you are. You're responding to God. This is God doing that in you. This is the time. The tide is turning and it requires us to change the direction of what we're paddling, to change the framework of our life, to, to, to change our routine a little bit and go, I need to cooperate with my life with what God's doing, not just this week, but keep this going for a while. See, let's see what he's doing. Every week I see divine appointments and conversations and revelations and ministry times and gifts. I'm seeing all this stuff begin to happen and I'm seeing the Lord at work just in our little church. I don't know what he's doing elsewhere. But here I'm sensing it may well be time for us to follow what he's doing. Not me only, but us together. It's 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul gives this incredible word that it took me decades before I really understood it. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So he, was, he, he says in other places that you are God's temple, singularly. But here he says, now there's a whole aspect that we haven't understood and that we, we treat way too casually, that all of us here together are God's temple, all of us together. When we come together, this word all means actually all, not all, all of you individuals. It's all of you. When you come together like this, this is God's temple. This becomes the dwelling place of God himself that we read about in Scripture where Solomon's dedicating a temple and the power of God comes and the, and the priests can't even do their duties anymore because the imminence of his presence is just so obvious to them. That's what can happen here. There's a synergy that happens when God's people come together. You know, and Jesus said, I will build my church. And this has been the first example where I've seen God build a church. It's a, not a great thing to be able to say. I've been involved in lots of churches and I know, I know the mechanics of how a human being can build a church. You just have the right program and you put on big screens, smoke machines and skinny jeans and you're going you're gonna to build a church. Can't guarantee how healthy it's going to be, but you're going to get a lot of excited people to it. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And we've seen an example in the first few years of this place where Trish and I would go home and we'd go, we're so honoured to see Jesus build a church. Our commitment was to build one person at a time and leave his responsibility to him. But I'm sensing that it may be an opportunity for us now seasonally, for us to do it again. Not somewhere else, but right here. This unique dwelling place of God is beginning to work again. People are coming who wouldn't normally be coming. And we're seeing spiritual gifts and encouragement, all these sorts of things. And Alice, I believe we're at, and I don't want to call it because I don't know 
I want to say with confidence that I do, but I'm, we're at the small stage and I wanna, I'm trying to look at the small mustard seed right now. But I know there's probably 10 or 15, 20 people I've spoken to here today that you're telling me, you're showing me that there's a mustard seed and God's starting to build his church, that the tide is coming in again. But this room is full. So my commitment when we started was to build a healthy mid-sized church that would be here for people because people matter and they want to connect with each other. And there comes a point where there's so many people that we can't connect the way we started this. And I want this church to give you what you come here for. Not have it so that it gets so full that when you don't receive that, we hit February, March, which is a normal season in the life of most churches where people go, it's a bit full in here. No one's going to notice if I'm not here. Footy's on. And we get that February, March syndrome where it goes, oh, it's a bit cooler this morning. Kids are being a pain in the neck. Let's, let's just not go. I know. I know. I see the numbers. I know exactly who's here. Okay. No, I don't. I really don't. The facial recognition was turned off today. I don't know. <laughs> I've been so tempted. No. But what happens is we get this natural arc of, of attendance in churches and it sort of backs off in May, June, July and we see the numbers go down and, and, um, and then they pick up again in spring when it gets warmer. Can we not do that this year? Because, and, I th- and there's a reason why. Not because I don't love you and want to give you a day off on Sunday. But I'm looking for a mustard seed, and I, and I want us to do this together as God's people. I'm looking for a mustard seed, and I think I'm seeing it, because we shouldn't have a room this full in this time of year, and it's been, it's been consistent, and I know it's uncomfortable for you. We've got every chair we can out, okay? So that would be a reason for us to go. Normally when it's about 65 to 75% full, people's mindset is we're full now, there's no room for me, and we cease to connect, and we cease to do the stuff that we came here for. But, but if, we, if we know what God is doing and, and, we, and, and if your role as well as mine is to, I'm just going to follow this thing that we believe God's doing. My role in that is to be the temple, is to come and let's, let's be that temple again today. Because what that allows us to do then, what I'm saying is we've got two services on a Sunday. My challenge is come to every week until Easter, come to church on Sunday. Morning or night, I don't mind. I know there's sports, we've got to work around and stuff. But why don't we give this thing an opportunity to see what God may be doing? Because if we get lazy with it, we may well miss the wave of God's spirit and have to read about it in some stuffy theologian's textbook that's written in 10 years' time instead of seeing it happen here. Or watching that tide begin here. And how about we write the book on how you grow a church now? How about we write the book on what it means to cooperate with the spirit when we can't even see what the spirit's doing yet? But we come every week to church in faith that God's doing something and he has something for me. Because if we know that, if we, if we get this awkward fullness sort of feeling, then it gives us permission to say, well, we need to make more room for God because our commitment is to give you what you came here for. Connection, space, all that sort of thing. And then we can consider then realistically uh, a second uh, service in the morning, which gives us a lot more room. And it gets that weird feel where, oh, gee, there's only 50 or 80 people here. But it gets us inviting again and it gives us more space that God can use to fill because that's our mindset here. How do we make room for God to work in people's lives? We need bigger containers. 
And so we can work together and we can, we can regard a second service as a bit of a church plant. Trish and I had the ball of just starting this thing from nothing and watching it grow. It's really exciting. It's as scary as heck, you know, but it's, it's, it's invigorating. It's like, man, we were part of something awesome, you know, and you can be a part of that too. And we can do it again. And then what happens is we have enough capacity then to grow teams and leaders and all the things that we're dreaming to do, to grow a new type of leader who can work with spirit and truth and grow a healthy mid-church and somewhere else down the road. And we can have this whole thing going on where we're working together, a whole new model of how church needs to look in the 21st century. It's springing up in countries all over the world. It's not happening in Australia yet. But I'm longing to see it here. I'm going to the UK in April and May to, to investigate and get into the bowels of how it's working. But I'm seeing the, the mustard seeds of that now. So those of you who love me, and if you don't, then feel free to tune out. Um, but I would, I'm just asking, can we make a step of faith together and come to church every week, regardless of how crowded and how ridiculous that car park's become all of a sudden? You know, that we, that we just do it and, and allow ourselves to have a little bit of discomfort about that and celebrate in a smallish, smallish way what Paul said, when I get to partner in the sufferings of Christ because I can't find a car park or the communions, terrible, those little things. Let's suffer for Jesus, eh? I mean, let's, let's give this thing a go. And I would just love to get to the, this, to the end of the year and have done this together, where it's not just Haggerty's got an idea, let's just push hard and make it happen. No, we've done this thing together as Team Kenmore Church, and we've created a space for another 100 or 200 people that are out there that don't come to church because there's no room at the inn, or they don't know that there's a healthy church that's just longing for them to come. And then if we decide that we're going to do that, we can kick that off after Christmas because I'm going to do a oh, Christmas, after Easter. There's faith. <laughs> after Easter. And then we commit ourselves to a whole year then of, of just working together and, and getting involved in what God's doing. So that's the challenge. I'm not getting too many amens, but I'm sort of, uh, is anybody, anybody with me on that one or do I just cancel that? I've got one hand. Great. <laughs> okay. No, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's, let's, get a little, let's just dedicate ourselves to a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of extra sort of zeal and passion about what God's doing, and let's just see what he might do. And it's 10 weeks. That's all I'm asking. 10 weeks until Christmas. Uh, at about three... Uh, <laughs> coffee. I've already had two espressos. I'm way overboiled already. Um, three weeks before Easter, we're starting an evangelistic series, which is an invitational series where we address the, the pain that people are going through out there, the questions that they've got of God, and we go through a really well-structured gospel presentation in the lead-up and then through Easter, a great evangelistic opportunity to, to bring your friends. So we need to have space for them to come if we're going to invite them. So that's, that's the challenge. So all I can pray now is uh, that I close off quickly because I'm 10 minutes over time, is just pray that we would have eyes. This is the simplest message I'm ever able to bring you. Watch, follow. Watch for the small, follow immediately with our life. I wonder where God's working in your life. Maybe he's been working already, but you haven't noticed yet. Maybe God's been here and you never knew. Let's pray together about that as the band comes up. Father, many words, many ideas, one simple gospel, one spirit, one church. You've never changed your idea. You've never changed tact. Lord, I know there are people here today who have experienced you, some who would love, they would do anything to do that. Lord, we just want to get past that right now and we want to invite you in to work in each one's life. 
Holy Spirit, will you come and build vision? Will you come and help us to be the, I believe it, I will see it, people. That we would be expectant without expectations placed on you. That we would live in the freedom of knowing you can do anything and probably will. Lord, I want to bless each one that's come here. Each one is a, is a gift. Each one is a gift to you and to us, but particularly to us. You are a gift. Each one is a gift because of the gift you have inside you that you bring. You are valuable. We need you for this work that God's got for us. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, will you seal that in people's hearts to say, yes, I'm home. I need to make this home. And home is not a building. Home is a set of relationships and people to connect to. People who'll ask me, how are you doing? People who'll be there. People who'll prophesy over us. People who'll minister with us. People who can rub shoulders with us as we get in the trenches. Let us be that group of people. Father, will you reveal yourself and your will to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. We're going to worship again, but we will have uh, the prayer team over here for anyone who'd like some prayer about any issue that matters to. They'd love to do that. Let's worship together. Thanks, Kate.